So that gives you a nice head start on outperforming fixed income, which of course is what equity is supposed to do, is give you that growth element over and above what the risk-free rate is giving you. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Canada's consumer price index eased slightly to 6.9% in September. Will inflation continue to tick down? In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host, Mackenzie Box, explore the sticky components. They also discuss U.S. banks and higher loan loss provisions, the Bank of England bailout, dividends, and emerging markets. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Good morning and welcome to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Bach, VP of Product and Strategy at BMO Global Asset Management. First off, I just want to thank everyone for taking the time to tune in. We greatly appreciate you listening and providing your feedback. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Thanks, Alfred and Chris, for joining us today. Thanks, Mackenzie. Morning. Well, let's get into it. The first question is focused around the consumer price index. It seems the drivers of inflation have recently flipped. Up until now, inflation was driven by goods, and now it looks as if it's being driven by services. Can you provide some insight on what this means for inflation and the potential for further interest rate increases? And what are some good strategies for this type of market? Alfred, we'll pass this one over to you. Sure. So inflation is definitely very topical right now. Uh, we got the Canadian CPI print this morning, so uh, hot off the press. So that came in at 6.9%. The market was anticipating 6.7%. Overall, I think, you know, even though the market is kind of more focused on, you know, where it landed ahead or versus expectation, I think the overall trend, it is trending lower. Uh, keep in mind that there is going to be some numbers within the CPI number that is going to be relatively sticky. Uh, but pretty much the same story that we saw in the U.S. Uh, a couple of weeks ago with the CPI print there, which, you know, as a reminder, came in at 8.2%. But I think the market was looking more for, you know, something perhaps with a seven handle on that. But overall, I think, you know, when you look at inflation and you take a deeper dive into inflation and what's contributing to it, uh, the overall number definitely is very stubborn right now. But, you know, to your point, I think when you break it down between, you know, what's coming from goods and what's coming from services, it definitely seems like it's services that is you know, the more sticky component. So, you know, overall, when you're looking at goods, um, I'm kind of looking more at the leading indicators at, at you know, what potentially is um, driving inflation down the road. So you know, the data point I always point to is the shipping rates from Shanghai to, let's say, ports like L.A. So when I look at the cost of shipping a cargo container from Shanghai, that's essentially at pre-COVID levels at this point. Uh, also, when I when I look at you know what companies are doing, Nike reported uh, they are seeing a rise in inventory, which I think eventually down the road, uh, that's going to mean um, you know lower prices down the road, and you know also FedEx they're reporting lower volumes ahead of the holidays as well. So I think all of that 
I think those are all good leading indicators that we are going to see some supply side healing down the road, which I think is going to be good for inflation. Uh, but going back on the services component, I think that's going to be more more sticky compared to the good side. So off of the CPI numbers that we got from Canada this morning, uh, we saw the major contributor was mortgage interest, which you know does feed into services. But on top of that, you know we, we've all heard about the strong labor market as well. So I think that could lead to inflation numbers that are a little bit more sticky, um, especially with the rise in minimum wages, also with the boomer demographic retiring, which should, you know, limit the amount of the labor force that's on hand, which could cause uh, a lot of stickiness in in the service component of CPI overall. Um, But overall, I think, you know, even though inflation is going to go down or we are seeing trends that inflation is, you know, slowly trickling down. I think it is going to remain choppy, right? So overall, I think, you know, everybody anticipating that inflation is going to come down in a straight line. It's a little bit unrealistic. Uh, But overall, I think, you know, unfortunately, the market is going to be overly focused on every individual uh, inflation print. So a couple of ways to play it. I think for the equity side of the portfolio, I think low volatility remains a good way to play it. So ZLU, which is our low vol U.S. equity ETF, uh, using that as an example, ZLU uh, is up two percent, two percent year to date on a total return basis. So, you know, when you compare that to ZSP, which is our uh, S and P 500 ETF, that's down 14.3 percent. So, pretty much a 16.2 percent outperformance, which I think, um, you know, in this environment is pretty good. But also, when you look at the S and P 500, looking at you know how it's performed year to date compared to its earlier peaks down roughly about 25%. So when you compare that to the you know, typical drawdown of a recession, usually about 30%. So, you know, if the market bottoms, I think, you know, the good thing about low vol is that you still are equitized. So you still have equity exposure. Um, so that's a good way to play it. On the fixed income side, we often talk about ZTIP, uh, which is our short-term TIP CTF. So I think, you know, even if we have seen peak inflation, as I mentioned, you know, I don't think inflation is going to come down in a straight line, right? There's going to be certain days where um, CPI is going to come in ahead of expectations, certain times where CPI is going to come in lower than expectations. Um, so, you know, as a result of that, I think that's going to translate to a lot of volatility that result that results from inflation. So a good way to hedge that on the fixed income side of your portfolio is using something like ZTIP. Um, I think it's a good way to offset you know, the traditional duration risk in the portfolio. So as I mentioned, I think, you know, the good news is that inflation is trending in the right uh, direction. Uh, But overall, we do believe that there are components and the inflation numbers that will likely uh, cause inflation to to remain a little bit sticky. So those are some good plays, both on the equity side and the fixed income side. Great. Thanks, Alfred. It's, uh, It's great to see that there's some solutions, both on the fixed income and equity side to help investors manage uh, this kind of environment. Are your clients flocking south for the winter? Check out BMO's top five snowbird ETFs, which feature no U.S. estate tax exposure. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers zwb.u, zpay.u, zwh.u, zus.u, and zsp.u, or read our latest product insight. Next question that came in 
we have seen U.S. earnings off to a good start with large financial institutions like Goldman and BNY and some smaller firms like Truist delivering positive surprises. Can you give us an update on U.S. bank ETFs? Chris, we will turn this one over to you. Sure. Thanks, Mackenzie. And yeah, certainly we've seen uh, decent earnings coming in uh, over the last few days, week or so uh, from the U.S. banks. As you mentioned, companies like you know J.P. Morgan and Bank of America have seen their stock prices bounce, you know, call it about 15 percent uh, in the last few days on the back of these earnings uh, releases. Um, other companies like Goldman Sachs, Citigroup up in the high single digit range. So, you know, the sector overall seeing a nice uh, pop in, in share prices on the back of these uh, earnings announcements. In terms of where those earnings are coming from, you know, largely it's been the net interest margin increasing with higher interest rates. Uh, we've talked in the past about how higher interest rate environments typically help financials like banks, um, you know, in, increase their margins as, you know, obviously as interest rates are at a higher level, uh, the spread between which banks can borrow at and then lend out at um, naturally can can widen out. And so banks tend to benefit in that type of environment. And that's exactly what we've seen so far this year or with this earnings cycle. At the same time, you know, some headwinds, we're seeing higher loan loss provisions being put aside in these earnings announcements. And so, you know, I think probably some of the interesting elements are what CEOs have been saying on these earnings calls as well and, and what their outlook is for, for the uh, U.S. economy. Um, again, m- putting a little bit more aside to cover uh, loan losses in the future, this is not, um, you know, actual losses, but just uh, expectations from uh, CEOs and from the banks that there could be a higher uh, amount of, of bad loans in the future. Overall, you know, CEOs, the bank CEOs did give a generally positive uh, review of where the U.S. economy is right now at this point in time. Um, certainly, there were some concerns about where the economy will be going next year. Uh, the potential for a recession in the U.S. Uh, was certainly highlighted by a couple of CEOs. Um, you know, Bank of America in particular was a little bit more positive in, in this uh, on this note. Um, thinking that, you know, going forward, we're going to see continued uh, strength in the U.S. economy, but other CEOs being a little bit more cautious. And so while we, while there was a expectation that currently we're doing okay, at least again, in the U.S. economy where we currently are, um, there there was a little bit of concern about going forward and into 2023, again, with those loan loss provisions increasing, as well as just mortgage activity in general um, coming down on the back of really high uh, borrowing costs. The other sort of headwind there is capital ratios, um, you know, falling a little bit as the market value of the bonds that are held uh, on on the balance sheet of banks um, selling off uh, in concert with higher interest rates. And so, um, you know, just keeping another area to keep an eye on with U.S. banks and Canadian banks as well uh, as we move forward in the into the coming quarters. Um, But overall, again, I think a very positive cycle so far when it comes to U.S. financials, U.S. banks in particular. Um, and again, that higher interest rate environment actually benefiting the bank's business model. So taking a look at, you know, how to play that, you know, ZUB is the equal weight exposure that uh, that BMO offers, equal weight U.S. banks exposure. That one is heads back to the Canadian dollar. I kind of highlight that one simply because of where the U.S. dollar has moved relative to the, to the Canadian dollar. We've actually got a lot more interest and inquiries into hedge to Canadian dollar 
um, solutions rather than having that U.S. dollar exposure. Of course, for clients that want that continued U.S. dollar exposure, we offer ZBK. So that's the exact same uh, portfolio of stocks, but with uh, without the currency hedge on it. So that U.S. dollar exposure, if uh, investors are, are wanting to play that strength in the U.S. dollar um, and potential continued future strength. Um, and then lastly, for investors that want a little bit more income from, from their uh, solution, we offer the covered call version. ZWK is the ticker there. And that's, you know, a very similar portfolio of U.S. banks, but with a covered call overlay on top of it. And, uh, you know, as, as we've mentioned before and as we've discussed, that really sacrifices or trades away some potential uh, future growth for the certainty of, of income today. So for those income-oriented investors that aren't as uh, worried about capital appreciation, that ZWK gives you exposure to that U.S. banking sector. Great. Thanks, Chris. It's nice to see some uh, some positive headlines come out around uh, earnings for the U.S. banks and having solutions that, uh, based on your currency views as well. The next question that came in is around uh, the Bank of England recently announced that it will start its quantitative tightening program in two weeks, but longer dated debt will be excluded. <clears throat> Does this indicate a larger problem in the bond market and how can investors position their fixed income portfolio around this? Alfred, we'll pass this one over to you. Sure. So quite the predicament that the uh, Bank of England is right now. So just to recap for listeners that don't know what's going on uh, in the UK right now, but basically a couple of weeks ago, the Bank of England had to step in to buy its own long-term bonds uh, in a move that very much looked like quantitative easing. Uh, but in actuality, you know, when I look at it, it's kind of more like a bailout for its pension uh, programs, right? So at the end of the day, you know, it's really just the same difference. The net effect to the market is really the same impact. Uh, the problem, however, you know, initially was that because we've been in a low interest rate environment, a lot of pensions, in order to meet their liabilities, um, because it was a low rate environment, what they had to do was they had to leverage up their long bond exposure in order to match their liabilities in order to enhance the yield that they were getting on the long bonds uh, that they were buying. The problem that they ran into, however, is that, you know, as the Bank of England started prepping for quantitative tightening and, and as they started signaling to the market that they were going to offload the bonds, um, obviously, you know, on the long end of the uh, yield curve, the long bond yield started to rise, uh, which caused a lot of the bonds um, and the positions that these pensions were holding uh, to essentially get margin called. Um, and that's why the Bank of England had to step in in order to, you know, enact quantitative easing on the long end of the curve. So, you know, to me, this is more of a bailout, more so than um, quantitative easing or monetary stimulus. Uh, but essentially how I read into this is that there is a limit in terms of how much quantitative tightening a central bank can do. Uh, there's also a limit in terms of how rates or how much rates can, can rise and how quickly rates can rise as well. So I think for all those, you know, listeners or investors that are, you know, banking on central banks to pivot at some point or take a pause, you know, shortly after the new year, I think this is a pretty good proof point that potentially that is a real possibility. So in terms of bond positioning, um, I, I, you know, I, I think in terms of positioning on the fixed income side of the portfolio, you know, unless you are waiting for some kind of Bank of England type of long bond quantitative easing, which I wouldn't bank on, um, I think the best way to play it is still, you know, parking or overweighting the short end of the curve. 
So, you know, when I look at the yield curve right now, um, investors really aren't compensated for taking on term risk right now, right? So when I look at, you know, the all short index, which includes both government bonds and corporate bonds, 4.5% right now, go all the way to the long end. Again, you know, the all, all long index, which includes governments and corporates, 4.5%, right? So no difference at all. Um, so, you know, when I look at ETFs like ZCS, which is our short corporate bond ETF, yield to maturity on that one is 5.4% right now, right? So I like that one. Um, you know, the way the ETF is structured is that, you know, bonds are trading at a discount right now, but on the short end of the curve, as they near maturity, you're going to get that pull to par effect. So um, I like the short end of the curve. Um, I think it's a good, you know, good area to hide, especially with the Bank of Canada still anticipates to make a couple more rate hikes uh, between this year and potentially early next year as well. Um, that's yes, I think is a natural tends to be, you know, the comfort zone for a lot of advisors as well. Uh, but on top of that, you know, another one that I like is one that we often talk about on this call as well. So ZBI, which is our Canadian bank income ETF. So this one invests in instruments issued by banks. So that includes bonds and hybrid securities. So things like preferred shares. So the reason why I like this one is, you know, 60% is going to be um, invested in bonds issued by banks. So this is, you know, all short end stuff, given that 99% of issuance by banks are on the short end of the curve. So the duration on the portfolio is naturally going to be short. I think it's about 2.5. Uh, the remaining 40% of the portfolio, what we're doing is we're investing in hybrid securities. So things like preferred shares, uh, limited recourse capital notes as well. So on the bond portion of the portfolio, you're going to get that pulled apart that I mentioned earlier. So as you know, bonds uh, approach maturity, they're going to move back up to that par value. Uh, the preferred share side, uh, $25 preferred shares especially, because all of these are going to get called by the banks uh, in the next five years, uh, just because you know OSFI prefers preferred shares to be you're out of retail hands. So a lot of those $25 preps are going to get uh, redeemed. They're going to get redeemed at $25 eventually as well. So you're going to get that pulled apart in the, in the preferred share side of the portfolio as well. So I like this one. Um, yield to maturity on this one is 6%, uh, which, you know, going back a year ago, if, you know, if we saw a 6% handle on a, on a fixed income product, that'd be pretty attractive. So uh, that's essentially what you're getting with ZBI right now. So, Overall, I think, you know, in terms of bond positioning, still favor the short end of the curve, um, especially when you look at you know, the correlation between the bond market, especially in the long end of the curve and the equity market is much more highly correlated this time around. Um, I think the benefits of, you know, overweighting long bonds, a little bit more, um, you know, a lot of a, a lot less uh, reasons to overweight the long end of the curve during this recession. So, Definitely favor the short end of the curve right now, but those are two good ideas to hug the short end of the curve. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Amid rising interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 5%. The BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. Or the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, 
provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit BMOATFs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, and ZWU. The next question we have is we've seen a lot of interest around dividends as they've been the factor in favor this year. Can you speak to the importance of dividends in the current environment and how complementing a dividend strategy with a covered call overlay may enhance income? And Chris, maybe you can use our ZWC, BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF as an example when you're speaking to this. Sure, Mackenzie, sounds good. And we, we've discussed a few times, I think, on this call, the importance of dividends and cash generative companies in the times uh, uh, in, in, in times like this with a high inflationary environment. Um, typically, when inflation is high, you know, the saying is cash is king. And so, again, the market rewards those companies that are very cash generative as of today and less so for those companies that are more growth oriented with earnings out into the future. Um, you know, the importance of having that cash flow and that cash generation from operations, um, you know, this year, next year, and the following year uh, becomes that much more important when inflation is high and yields are as high as they are as well. I think as well, just for equity-oriented investors, when you're taking a look at equities versus fixed income, when a fixed income portfolio, now that yields have gone up, can give you 3 4 potentially 5%, um, and, you know, the risk-free rate certainly on the lower end of that, that spectrum, but, you know, getting close to 4% for a risk-free rate, your equity investment really has to start at that point, right? And so having a dividend portfolio, and you mentioned ZWC, McKenzie, so our our ZWC um, Canadian Covered Call Fund is a dividend-oriented portfolio of Canadian equities, and that's going to give you a four, four plus percent dividend yield. So right off the bat, as an equity investor, you have a portfolio that's paying you a dividend that is at least on par with or even a little bit higher than what that risk-free rate um, coming out of the fixed income market is giving you. So that gives you a nice head start on outperforming fixed income, which of course is what equity is supposed to do, is give you that growth element over and above what the risk-free rate is giving you. So when you can build a portfolio that has that 4% plus dividend yield and gets you on par with that risk-free rate or ahead, then all of the growth coming out of that of course, um, you know, is on top of what you're getting uh, from the fixed income market. And that's essentially what we need out of our equity investments going forward. So for income-oriented investors in particular, um, you know, starting with that high dividend base makes a lot of sense, we think. And, you know, again, I've talked about yield, the yield relative to the, the, the risk-free rate. Of course, you know, taxation is a, is a different element that investors have to take into account as well. You know, generally dividends and capital gains that come out of the equity market are generally more tax preferred than um, the income that comes out of a fixed income investment. But when you take a look at having that dividend yield of 4% for income oriented investors that want a little bit more, again, more than what just the risk free rate is giving you, um, adding on a covered call overlay can add another call at 3 to 4% on an annualized basis in terms of the income stream you're getting. You know, as I just briefly mentioned in the previous question, when you do, um, invest in a portfolio that has that covered call overlay, the trade-off you're making is that future potential growth. You're trading away some of that future potential growth um, for that certainty of cash flow and and, and cash flow coming into the door today. And so that's something that investors, again, have really gravitated towards in this inflationary type environment. Having that upfront dividend yield and those call option premiums coming in as well gives you a really nice 
income stream that's over and above uh, what the fixed income market is giving you generally is probably going to be more tax preferred as well for taxable investors. And then you still have the growth potential that those companies are giving you on the equity side. Um, and so, you know, we think that's going to continue to play out at least until we start to see, um, you know, a slowdown and, and, a, and a decrease in inflation. And Alfred talked about, you know, how that's going to take some time going forward. It's not going to be an overnight process. Um, so we think, you know, those dividend oriented portfolios are going to continue to perform well, at least on a relative basis. Um, and again, for income oriented investors, it really makes sense to potentially look at adding on that covered call overlay on top of the dividends you're getting in order to really uh, flush out the income stream that you can get from these investments. Great. Thanks, Chris. That's definitely some uh, attractive yield there with uh, some of the covered call ETFs. So definitely something to be looking at in this environment. Um, the last question we have today uh, we're seeing a lot of headlines circulating around emerging markets. Chris, can you maybe provide some insights on why this market or this environment is so challenging for emerging markets? Yeah, and if you take a look just at 2022, uh, you know, emerging markets have sold off about as much as the developed markets have. It's that around that 20% range. If you take a look at uh, U.S. equities or the MSCI world. Uh, does depend on exactly the time frame you're looking at as well as the currency exposure. But let's call it around in line um, in terms of the market sell-off here in 2022. Uh, but if you look back a little bit further, um, you know, ZEM and emerging markets, um, you know, really were lagging developed markets coming into this year. So looking back on a one and two year basis, emerging markets certainly have been lagging the developed markets. There's a couple of reasons uh, for that. First of all, if you take a look at you know, what's happening in China and the slowdown in economic growth there, um, I mentioned ZEM, that's our, emerging, our broad emerging markets uh, ETF. Um, if you take a look at the China exposure within that fund, it's about a quarter of the fund has been as much of uh, almost a third, um, depending on when you're looking at it, but about a quarter of emerging market exposure right now is in China. Um, you know, due to the zero COVID policies there, lockdowns, economic activity has been very depressed. You know, Q2 GDP uh, came in at just 0.4% in China. So, you know, barely growing uh, at all in Q2. And more recently, um, sparking a little bit of concern uh, from the markets is that the Q3 data has been delayed. So uh, it should have been announced already. Uh, China took the steps to actually not announce it and they've held that back. There was a, a, a expectation there would be a little bit of a bounce back, about a 3.3%. Uh, was the consensus of, of what the markets were expecting out of that Q3 GDP from China. But again, we don't know what that actually is. And so that kind of sparked some speculation that maybe there's some political reasons why they haven't uh, released that number. Maybe it's not as positive as the market was expecting and they're concerned about repercussions there. So definitely some concern around uh, if that economy is starting to bounce back, what the impact of, uh, again, COVID-related lockdowns has been, and if there's any slowdown in that coming going forward as well, or if those lockdowns will uh, be lifted at all, or what the zero COVID policy will be going forward. So some concern around China economic growth there. In terms of the broader uh, emerging markets, you know, there's a couple of headwinds there for them as well. You know, typically, these countries do their borrowing in U.S. dollars. So if you think about an emerging market economy, you know, borrowing in U.S. dollars, that debt has to and those interest payments have to be paid back in U.S. dollars. And we've seen a really strong uh, U.S. currency this year. If you take a look year to date, just versus some of the major um, emerging market currencies, 
the U.S. dollar is up anywhere from, call it 15% uh, to around 20% if you're looking at the Korean won, for example. So high teens uh, in terms of what the U.S. dollar has done relative to these other currencies. And so those, those U.S. dollar interest payments just got a lot more expensive for uh, some of those emerging markets. As well, the yields have gone up, so any new issuance has to be at a higher yield as well. So you have higher yields, um, you know, higher amounts of U.S. dollars that need to be paid back, you know, relative to uh, what that equates to in local currency. Um, and, of course, dealing with high inflation in some of those economies as well. So a lot of headwinds facing emerging market economies. A lot of it has to do with what the U.S. monetary policy is and with those higher interest rates, that really, really strong U.S. dollar on a global basis. And so, you know, that's that's where we are today with emerging markets. I think for long-term investors, um, you know, typically this type of environment has been a, a good time to, to buy into emerging markets um, as most of that negative sentiment is priced into the market. And we have seen it again sell off pretty much just as much as the developed markets have. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of comfort in the fact that they haven't sold off more here in 2022. Um, that means the market is not seeing any huge contagion, any huge breakdown in capital markets activity. Um, and so if emerging markets can can get through this period, that actually creates a nice growth profile going forward. So for really long-term investors, um, you know, taking a look at, you know, a bit of a contrarian view here, um, the, the economies that are most beat up and mo- have the most negative news priced into them, you know, generally have the best chance for, for high growth going forward. So for growth-oriented investors, it might actually be a time to start taking a look at emerging markets. Great. Thanks, Chris. That's all the questions that we have for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and taking the time to tune in. And thank you to both Alfred and Chris for providing some great insights in this uncertain market. Um, so I just want to wish everyone a great day. And thanks again for tuning in. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility U.S. Equity ETF ticker ZLU, which provides exposure to a low beta weighted portfolio of U.S. stocks. Our experts also discussed the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF ticker ZWC, which invests in a diversified portfolio of cash generative companies while earning call option premiums. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.